Today's sermon passage is from Revelation 1, 4 through 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning we gather in the name of your Son, Jesus. We gather believing that indeed he is our Lord and our hope, our Redeemer, the one who has taken away our sin and the one who makes all things new. So, Lord, we pray today that you would stir us, you would stir us to love you and to trust you and to walk in your ways. Lord, this day particularly, um, we want to pray for those in our community, um, a mere mile from here, who have lost much, whose homes have been destroyed, whose possessions have been um, taken from them, who have been in need. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing and comfort and peace. We pray that you would stir your people all through this community to respond to such needs and to care for others who are created in your image. Lord, we also thank you for the great outpouring of love in our community yesterday by people of this church, by people of other congregations who were simply responding to need and doing so in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. We pray that you would receive the honor. And we pray that the story of Jesus would find more truth and more acceptance this Christmas as these many have seen your love displayed. Lord, would you give us a vision of Jesus from this passage? We pray now. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Before we start the sermon, I'm just going to take a minute, and if that's not okay, you can tell me later. But, um, you know, usually when pastors talk about out there, we're usually wagging a finger and saying really negative things. Um, But we just prayed about tornado victims and destruction here in our community. And, and yesterday, I was so encouraged. Um, I was literally standing on someone's roof, and I looked out, and I saw a church group of people I don't know, a church group of people I don't know, a church group of people I don't know. And that was just in the little area that I could see. But I saw just Jesus' people 
loving and helping those in need in the name of Jesus and people feeling loved, people feeling cared for. And let me just be honest, it was really encouraging, really, really encouraging, you know, um, to think about a community that's so churched, but then to also see a community so churched love people so well. Like that was really encouraging to me yesterday. And um, let's celebrate that. Let's give God glory for that um, good work that he's doing through his people. And to bring that right back to our sermon series on the kingdom, that's the kingdom. The people who know Jesus obeying Jesus. And we had a tragedy come to our community to help us see that. So our sermon today comes from Revelation chapter 1. If you haven't done so, please take your Bible and turn over to that passage. So we're doing two things this Advent. We're talking about the kingdom of God, and we're talking about Advent, which is the coming of God to deliver his people. Really, those are the same thing. And so our Advent sermon passage this year is Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And I'm asking you to read, study, pray over, and digest these five verses as much as you are able during this December. If you want to have a little church one-upmanship, my community group's memorizing it. So take that. Um, And I didn't even suggest it. But seriously, um, let's let this passage give us a renewed, clear, hopeful vision of Jesus, our King. And so today's sermon um, is entitled The Priest, and we are focusing on five words in verse Five. five words in verse 5. The firstborn of the dead. The firstborn of the dead. So verse 5 begins, Paul or John is wishing grace and peace to these Christians from God the Father, from the Spirit, in verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So last week we talked about Jesus, the faithful witness. And today, Jesus the firstborn from the dead. And my real drive in these sermons is not to do what so many of us do at Advent, which is this. And what most of the time in my history of preaching I've done. Go find some obscure Old Testament prophetic things and go, that was talking about Jesus. And Jesus came. Awesome that was talking about Jesus, and Jesus did come, and that's awesome. But all those those things that God promised about the Savior who was to come were intended to elicit a response of faith. So last week, we saw Jesus is the prophet. He is the faithful witness. Now, why in the world would God send a faithful witness so his people would listen to the faithful witness, right? This passage tells us that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. So here comes Cliff's notes of this sermon. That means Jesus is the one who brings spiritual life 
and everlasting life. Why would God reveal and promise and then send a firstborn from the dead? So that his people would trust and cling to Jesus for spiritual life. So that we would run to Jesus and nowhere else for spiritual life. So that we would run to Jesus and nowhere else to be cleansed from our sins. So that we would run to Jesus and nowhere else to be renewed and restored in our relationship with God the Father. Jesus The firstborn from the dead is the bringer of spiritual life and the bringer of everlasting life, which means we run to him for life, for forgiveness, for relationship with God. Now let's look at that together and consider it this morning. If you were to take notes, our first point would be Our resurrection. Our resurrection. So our phrase, the firstborn of the dead. Let's just be honest. In English, it's quite a strange phrase. Anyone use firstborn of the dead in conversation this week? Anybody? None. Josh, even you? No? Oh, never mind. Hey, we we accept that here at Redeemer. (laughs) Josh, I wasn't picking on you. I was just saying, if I thought of anyone that would use firstborn of the dead in a sentence this week, it might be you. No? Yeah, 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 okay. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So it's, it's a strange phrase. Not often used, firstborn of the dead. Um, It appears twice in the New Testament. It appears here, and it appears in Colossians 1, 19. So what does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead? Now, we're going to consider in our second point some of the greater significance of this, but but right here we just want to understand it. So, So to be the firstborn of the dead, or the it, it, it would mean that Jesus faced death. To be the firstborn of the dead, or the firstborn from the dead, would mean that Jesus faced and endured death. Jesus has tasted death. What's unique about Jesus in comparison to all the rest of humanity was death wasn't the end of life for Jesus because Jesus overcame death. Jesus brought life from death. So firstborn is ultimately a word of significance. It's ultimately a word that means heir or chosen offspring, but it also means born. It means born, right? So, so what the phrase firstborn of the dead is telling us is that Jesus faced death and was not defeated by death. He actually overcame death 
with life. Particularly, Jesus overcame his own death with his own eternal life. So that's good news. Jesus defeated death. But but there's something else here that's really important. The phrase firstborn here doesn't speak of order. First, second, third, fourth. But it rather speaks of prominence. It speaks of being the heir. So in a society at this time, the firstborn linearly was also the heir, the recipient of the kingdom, dare we say, of everything that belonged to the father. So when the scripture says Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, it's not merely saying he, was, he went first, he was at the front of the line, but it's saying he has a position of prominence, a place of honor, because Jesus will not be alone in defeating death. Rather, he will be the representative of a people who have defeated death. So when the passage says Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, it's telling us he faced death. He tasted it. He endured it. He died. But he found life to defeat the power of death. And as the firstborn, he's not the only one who will overcome death, but he is the overcomer who will bring his people with him. Jesus, the firstborn of the dead. So literally, the passage is saying that Jesus has overcome death and he's bringing his people with him. Now, the book of Revelation is a letter to suffering churches. It's a letter to churches and Christians enduring great hardship because of their faithfulness to Jesus. And I hope you can see this this connection that Jesus as the firstborn of the dead, Jesus as the bringer of life, Jesus as the one who has defeated death would be a phrase of great Hope, because that would mean that whatever that your persecutors do to you, Jesus is able to carry you further and give life. There's nothing that can take away the life that he brings. That's the promise of the passage. So when he says, look to Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, he's saying, look to Jesus, the one who's overcome death and who has everlasting life and will bring others with him. That's what the phrase literally means. Jesus is the giver of life because Jesus has overcome death. I mean, that's actually a pretty good sermon, right? There is so much more there. So let's do a little so much more. Does that sound, sound good? Or we can just be done. So much more. Okay, good. I heard you say it. Second point, our sin conqueror. Our sin conqueror. This, this discussion of life over death is connected to a scriptural theme of God bringing new life over the power of both sin and death. So in the scripture, there are two things that are linked together. 
Rebellion against God is what brought death into the world. The only way to get death defeated is to defeat that which brings death, which is to defeat sin. So in the scripture, when there's this theme of God defeating death, what's always tied to it is God defeating sin. The power to overcome death requires the power to overcome sin. The ability to overcome death insinuates the ability to overcome sin. These things are linked together in the scripture. Uh, that's, that's not true. You're reading that into it. Okay, go with me. Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Come back next week. We're going to talk about that. And now watch exactly where John goes. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What does John do? He says, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And this work of Jesus, what does it bring to his people? It manifests his love and it frees us from our sins. So, so what's going on here is John is saying the life that Jesus brings is also freedom from the power of sin and the power of death. Jesus brings that to his people. How is God's hatred of sin and the power of sin and death at work in the world and the need of forgiveness, how is that taught throughout the Scripture? It's taught through the system in the Old Testament of priests, and sacrifices for sin. The, the system of priests and offerings for sin throughout the Old Testament were intended to teach the people of God that sin is their problem, the solution comes from God alone, and they need to look to God for forgiveness. So the whole system of priests and sacrifices and atonement was, was to shine a light on this issue of sin and death in the Scripture. And what the New Testament shouts to us is that Jesus is the completion of and the fulfillment of all the priesthood and all the sacrificial system and all the sacrifices. That all of those things were to prepare the people for the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. So we see Jesus as the life giver who has taken away the power of sin and death for all who believe in him. 
And a way to understand what that looks like is to think about this Old Testament system of priests and animal sacrifices and the day of atonement. Now, if you really want some more to read because you've already got this memorized and you don't know what else to read, take up Leviticus 16 this week. Take up Leviticus chapter 16. So here's the logical connection. Pastor, how do we go from firstborn of the dead to our priest? This is how we do that. The priests stood before God on behalf of the people. And the priest brought the offerings before God on behalf of the people to show the people's contrition for their sins and their need for God's forgiveness. And this played out year after year after year until Jesus came. And what's testified about Jesus is he is the forever priest and the forever sacrifice and for the forever atonement that puts an end to this whole system. So get this. Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, the bringer of life, the taker away of sin, the one who takes away the need of all these sacrifices through his own blood, he takes away this whole priesthood. He is our priest, which means we approach God through him, which means we bring our sin to him, which means our forgiveness comes from him. Jesus has conquered sin. Either our sin is covered in Jesus or we stand condemned forever. Either we find life in Jesus or we stand in death forever. This is the testimony of the scripture. Again, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Well, why didn't you just say it that way? Why all this stuff about the Old Testament and the priests and the sacrifices? Because in the coming, in the Advent, there was this sense of what we have longed for is here. We saw it in the witness because the prophets would tell of his coming and there was 400 years of silence. There was this anticipation for the next prophet. And here in the people, the anticipation came from year after year after year after year after year of making atonement for sin. The way that God showed them that sin is the problem, he brings the only solution Forgiveness comes from him and in his ways. This all finds its great moment of yes and amen in the death of Jesus on the cross whereby he defeats death, defeats sin, and brings forgiveness and life to all who will ever call upon Two verses for you to contemplate. Colossians 1, 
beginning in verse 18. Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There, there's our phrase, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The work of peace, the work of forgiveness, the work of defeating death, the work of bringing new life comes through the blood of his cross. And by the blood of his cross and by his resurrection life, we find life in him. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? I'm going to give you Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, what are we to do? Number one, Repent and believe that the blood of Jesus is poured out to cover your sin. Repent and believe that the blood of Jesus is poured out to cover your sin. Now, it wasn't just poured out for your sin, but I'm calling upon us to make this very personal. Second, never ever look anywhere else for forgiveness than the blood of Jesus. That's what's going on in Hebrews 4.16 when he says, draw near to the throne of grace. Receive mercy, find grace, never look anywhere except the blood of Jesus for forgiveness of sin. Third, go to Jesus, our priest and our mediator, the living priest and the living mediator to cultivate relationship with God. Go to Jesus, our living priest and our living mediator to cultivate relationship with God. Well, I thought we were supposed to read the Bible. Yes, because in the scripture, we're pushed to Jesus. Friends, 
so much of our scurrying around the world feeling anxious and hurt and broken is is rooted in us looking for peace and forgiveness and acceptance in all kinds of other places besides in the one place where it's found, the throne of grace where Jesus the priest reigns for his people. So John says, I want you to find grace and peace from Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, meaning this, Jesus is the bringer of spiritual life and everlasting life. Jesus has overcome spiritual death and physical death. So let us be the people who continually come to Jesus for grace, for mercy, for restoration, for reconciliation, and for moving forward in this world world. We always do it through Jesus, our great high priest. Now, friends, this is usually where an evangelical pastor like me rails vehemently against the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church, right? Well, If you're going to a human to be Jesus, that's a problem. But there are so many other ways we can go to humans to be Jesus for us. It's great to have friends. It's great to have counselors. It's great to have confidants. It's great to have people you can trust. It's great to have people that give you wisdom. But none of them are ever intended to replace Christ. He's our only high priest. Let's be running to him. So what's my hope? My hope is that this Advent, we would be renewed and restored in how great a gift Christ has given us, his love and freedom from our sins, and that we would be turned away from many, many replacements of Christ in our lives. I'm praying that we would see Christ in this way and be stirred to a vibrant, living faith in him.